now they're your megaphone. If you're launching a new product or if you're having an event, you better believe that they're going to be there and that they're going to tell their friends. And, and, and that's been really, really powerful. Hey, what's up? Welcome to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Longtime listeners of this show will know that there are a couple core fluencies, interests, general topics that we cover on this show. Obviously, the first is entrepreneurship, but even further, we do a lot of conversations around the world of finance and also in the strategies, tactics, forces that are influencing small business and helping other small business owners succeed that listen to this show. Today is a great example of touching on all three of those bases. George Cook is the co-founder of Honeycomb Credit. I first met him when he gave a fantastic pitch at Alpha Lab Demo Day in 2017. It was all about how his company is rethinking lending and other financial service options for small businesses. He gets into the details of how it works, the success it's already having, and what they're going to do with the $1 million seed round that they just raised here in Pittsburgh. I found this to be a particularly edifying conversation. I think you will as well. So enjoy this interview with George Cook. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. All righty, George. Welcome to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. This is your maiden voyage in a podcast conversation. It is. I'm yeah. excited about it. And I know that you're going to do well because I think I said this the first time we met each other, but I definitely told other people it. After leaving Alpha Lab Demo Day, which is a event where a cohort of companies coming into this accelerator incubator talk about what they're doing, solicit funding, kind of paint a picture for what the company is going to be. And I walked out of that pitch the most impressed by you and Honeycomb Credit. It, it painted a very clear vision. It was an exciting um, kind of idea, but it, it was just, you know, part of the game is being captivating and enthralling and, and you really did a good job of that so I wanted to start with that exact idea going into a pitch like that you're, you're standing in front of a large auditorium of people what was it like how did you prepare for that experience it, it was out of this world it was so cool we were um, actually so it was at stage AE so you know a venue where rock stars have, have come and performed uh, and we were actually, before we went on, we're in the green room backstage. So I'm like sitting in a chair that, you know, the, the big rock stars have all sat in, which was really fun. And, uh, you know, going going into it, we, uh, we, we definitely prepared a lot. I had actually uh, Christian Bilger, our, our chief operating officer. I, I knew there was a lot of noise from the crowd when we were on the stage. So I literally would, would stand up here in the conference room practicing and, and have Christian kind of make obnoxious noises in the background just yeah. to, to help me get ready for, for that type of environment. But it, it was so much fun. I think they said 1,100 people were there watching. Um, and it, it was just such a great way to showcase what we're doing. I and mean, we're obviously very excited. We're, we're biased towards what we're doing, but we're very excited about what we're working on at Honeycomb. And so it was a lot of fun to get in front of that, in front of that crowd. And that audience is one of the wildest components of it because the previous two times I was there it was an outdoor concert for some electronic artist that's escaping my memory right now and then Wiz Khalifa when he came back right. after Black and Yellow <laughs> and the fact that the, the following time more than a thousand people would come to see a bunch of startups and entrepreneurs tells you not only a lot about where we are right now culturally mm -hmm. but just kind of the energy within Pittsburgh for these type of events and these experiences so 
that had to just be absolutely thrilling and and a rush afterwards. Yeah, for sure. What did it look like after that, like in terms of solicitations and outreach and potential investor conversations? What was the aftermath of an event like that? Yeah, so Demo Day for us was just a couple of weeks before we launched our platform. Uh, And so we got a really robust mailing list of folks who who ultimately many of them came and actually invested in some of our campaigns. And I know we'll talk more about the product here shortly. But, uh, you know, so we we got kind of a lot of our early customers. Uh, And then as as Honeycomb, too, we we were in the early stages of, of starting our own fundraise, which we recently closed. Uh, and so we were definitely able to, to start to generate some interest from from the kind of angel investor community in the Pittsburgh market too. So ton, tons of great connections came out of that event. Absolutely. So getting to the core kind of service offering, what you guys are doing, people will be obviously familiar with general crowdfunding, a Kickstarter and Indiegogo. People will also be very familiar with the eat local, shop local type of movement. You sit in a kind of interesting nexus between those two. So explain for folks uh, what you're what you're doing with Honeycomb Credit, what the mission is, and how those two kind of tie together. Yeah, so Honeycomb Credit is a, a website that allows locally owned small businesses to borrow from their own loyal customers and community members. So in many ways, you can think of us as uh, kind of the a, a, a child between a crowdfunding site that you're familiar with, maybe Kickstarter or Indiegogo, and a old-fashioned community bank. Um, and, and, you know, from my background, I'm actually a, a, a sixth generation community banker, grew up in the community banking ecosystem and uh, w- went on uh, after college and was working for, for TransUnion, a large credit analytics company in, in Chicago and uh, w- was, was doing all of these really cool things to help banks build new tools to, to really uh, democratize financial services. The fact that you can get on your phone and get a mortgage in 10 minutes, or you can get on Venmo and, and send a friend cash in, in seconds. You know, all of these things were, were happening. I was seeing technology making financial services so much better. But at the same time, anytime I talked to a small business owner, they were they were having a really hard time getting access to financing. And so I started to study this at TransUnion, then later at grad school. And what I started to notice was that the community banks were, were getting acquired by regional banks, and the regional banks were getting acquired by national banks. And so this historic relationship between community banks and, and storefront small businesses, where uh, you, you would walk into the the community bank across the street from your storefront, you would sit down, you would have a relationship banker, uh, they would obviously review your financials, and they would look at your credit score and all of those important quantitative pieces. But they also knew you, they knew if you opened your shop on time, and if your bakery had good baguettes, and if you plowed your sidewalk in the winter, and they, they knew if you were a good member of the community, more than a number. Exactly. And so as the 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 underwriting decision moved from across the street to across town to across the state to across the country through these acquisitions, every time that the underwriting got more removed from the situation on the ground, more of that qualitative data, more of that relationship banking fell by the wayside. And so I was just seeing firsthand all of these amazing locally owned small businesses that didn't have access to capital in the same ways that they used to. Uh, and that, that was really disheartening to me. 
Uh, that's when I was in, in grad school getting my MBA at Dartmouth, and I met my co-founder, Ken Martin, who was a successful small business owner. And he was facing this exact same problem uh, on, on a very micro level. He was living and breathing this every day. I was thinking about it from the statistical level. And, and that's when we put our heads together and said, there, there's got to be a better way. And, and that's when we, we kind of got to Honeycomb. Uh, you know, we, we can do the, the quantitative analysis all day long. I, that, that's the easy stuff. That's what I did at TransUnion for years. But finding a way to bring relationship banking back in a scalable way, bringing that qualitative data back in a scalable way, that was the hard part. And that's the beauty of crowdfunding. When you get people in the community to tell you which small businesses are, are worthwhile and which ones they want to see grow and thrive in their community, that is incredibly powerful. And, and so we're just really excited about, about the idea and, and how it's been, uh, been taken in the market so far. I want to sink my teeth a little bit more into how it works and that qualitative yeah. aspect, but you, you referenced the sixth generation community yeah, banking yeah. family lineage. What happened there? Like, like how, how is it doing? What has being inside that business looked like for the last decade? Yeah, so uh, the, the business is, is, is doing well. They're growing. Uh, it, it's uh, it just down the road, uh, about 90 miles here from, from uh, Pittsburgh in, in a small town called Somerset, Pennsylvania. The bank is, is doing great. They are up to 30 branches. Uh, I think when I, when I worked there, they were at 10 branches. I was helping them kind of with their growth strategy. You know, in many ways, uh, my father is the CEO there, and, and many of my cousins and uncles work there. They're, they're thinking about these same challenges. As, as community banks disappear, how do you fill the void that's left behind? And so, you know, when National City and PNC merged and, and, and when all these regional banks started to merge, many of them would just shut down their branches in small towns like those that exist in Fayette and Somerset County. And so Somerset Trust Company has, has taken this approach of making, building new branches. They're expanding their brick and mortar footprint, which is, which is pretty rare in the banking industry these days. And so they'll go in with very lightweight um, brick and mortar branches to, to try and capture this market and bring banking services back to communities that are, that are being ignored. And so, you know, I'm thinking about the exact same challenges, but more from a technology perspective. How, how, do, you, how do you get access to financial services to folks that are, that are being left behind? But I, I'm thinking about it from kind of a scalable tech solution. They're thinking about it from brick and mortar. What do they think about what it is that you're doing? Like, do they kind of wish you'd come back and help with the family business? Or what's that dynamic been like? Yeah, yeah, it makes for some uh, interesting uh, family reunions. Uh, but uh, so I, I, I love to, to it's nice. Uh, I was away for many years. I was in Chicago and New Hampshire and, and Los Angeles or Los Angeles for a little while. So it's, it's great to, to be back here in Pennsylvania and, and be close to the family business and, and still be kind of a part of it and, and get back and, and have those conversations. Um, I think in, in many ways, they're very excited about what I'm doing. And I think I think actually most of the banks we talk to, even beyond my family bank, are, are, are really excited about what we're doing because many of the businesses we're working with, whether for regulatory reasons or, or, or just from kind of the size of the loans, they're the really hard loans for banks to do. Uh, and, and so we're actually serving a very complementary role to, to what many banks are focused on today. So to help people who might not be uh, necessarily super familiar with financial products and, and these types of operations, give us an example of a company that came through looking to raise money, a goal, a result, and the business implications for Honeycomb Credit of that 
uh, campaign. Yeah, for sure. So uh, one of my favorite examples is is Millie's ice cream. So Chad Townsend at Millie's, uh, phenomenal business owner, uh, what kind of well-known chef uh, in the Pittsburgh culinary scene, uh, set out and started Millie's a couple of years ago. The business was doing well. They had a, a nice location here in Shadyside. They've got a location downtown in Market Square. And uh, Chad had found a really cool old uh, vintage left-hand drive British ice cream truck from like the 60s or 70s and it was out in California and he he just had to have it and and he came to us and said you know the the truck is about uh, I forget exactly but you know something like ten thousand dollars and to get it all up to speed get the new equipment in there get all of the uh the the new you know uh, best in class refrigeration and and soft serve equipment everything into the truck and and get a nice wrap around it uh the whole project would be about fifty thousand dollars and so Chad came to us and he, he had this this project in mind that you know ten thousand dollars would get him moving in the right direction fifty thousand dollars would get him along the line the, kind of across the finish line and so we we set up a, a, a campaign for him uh we we went out with him shot a video uh actually showed the the truck and it's, it's very early raw stage did some great interviews with him and the team and, and put some content together and then worked with him to to create a marketing plan and he went out to his customers whether through social media or email or kind of in-store collateral and he told uh he told the world about his honeycomb campaign and folks logged in and they invested in his business i think i think the interest rate was eight percent so uh people people invested in uh, millie's ice cream truck and they are now starting to receive their their return payments Uh, they bought the truck they executed it i actually saw it the other day at an event and now uh, millie's is making those repayments and we're returning the funds to to all of the folks who invested in their campaign. So really just kind of keeping the money local, uh, making it kind of a circular economy. And with Honeycomb, is the model effectively, like a lot of banks, there's float where you're, it's getting lent out at one interest rate. People are getting paid on the money that they're putting with you guys at a lower rate. And that difference is the effective margin of Honeycomb? Is that is that the, the model? No, actually, so every nickel of principal and interest that's repaid by uh, Millie's or, or any of the businesses we work with goes directly back to the individual investors. Okay. Uh, we make our money uh, primarily off of a success fee. So if a business successfully raises money uh, on the Honeycomb platform, we take a percentage, uh, but so effectively a closing cost. Um, but we're, our incentives are aligned. We really want to make sure the yeah. businesses are, are, are successful on our platform. That's a that's a really big part of it. And I mean, incentives drive everything. And the fact that it has to be successful in order for you guys to get paid would be really aligning. It's also curious that you said that there was a component of the service that you're providing that is the marketing side as well. That's not something you traditionally see with the bank. They're not going to help you market the endeavor once you absolutely have a, a relationship together. What does that look like? What, what, what kind of services were you providing or advice or perspective? Yeah. And, 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 you know, no offense to PNC, but you know, if someone gets a PNC loan, it's, it's behind closed doors. They don't talk about it. It's uh, it, you, you don't tell other folks 
in your network that you got a loan from PNC. It's just not something you talk about. And so we're, we're really kind of changing that dynamic a little bit with Honeycomb. In order to successfully get people to find and fund your campaign, you, you need to tell them that you have a campaign. And so you need to, to shout from the rooftops that you're borrowing money from Honeycomb. And what we found is that the businesses we work with see a nice little marketing bump during their campaign because now they can they can talk about their growth strategy and they can talk about the future of their business, which is not what you typically see in an Instagram post or, or right. a Facebook post. There's a story post. to tell. Exactly. They get to tell their growth story, which is really exciting. And then kind of post-campaign, now you've got 20 or 40 or 100 of your best customers literally invested in your success. Yeah. And so folks are folks are really now they're your megaphone. If you're launching a new product or if you're having an event, you better believe that they're going to be there and that they're going to tell their friends and, and and that's been really really powerful. And and so to your to your original question, you know, how how are we what what does the marketing component look like? What we find is that that some small business owners don't necessarily, you know, they're very good at at, at selling ice cream or selling juice or selling their food at the restaurant. They might not necessarily be used to selling their story, selling their selling themselves uh, in the way that you do for a honeycomb campaign. And so we, we like to, to create a marketing packet that we can provide for the small businesses to give them some recommendations about what works well, what, what we've seen that hasn't worked as well, um, and, and make sure that, that they're reaching out to their community in an effective way. And so one of the questions I was curious about coming in was, you know, this interest rate that the uh, business is getting, how competitive that is, or if they could even get that loan from other institutions. And I think you'll answer that in, in the forthcoming answer that you give me. But the really kind of core element of this is when you have more parties with real skin in the game. Because if you're a $20,000 loan or a $30,000 loan to a PNC, you are a below a line item in terms of their entire book of business. However, if you have the uh, like you said, the members of the community who are invested in you, when it comes time for them to make that marginal decision, we're getting dessert tonight. And I could go to Rita's or Dave and Andy's or Dairy Queen or Millie's. And we have investments with Millie's. Like that kind of influences buying decisions and your your relevance within the community. So 100%. There's, there's a much greater why behind why you would go with something like this honeycomb campaign but can you speak a little bit to the interest rate side of things yeah so so maybe the the latter point there first so so just a a really fun anecdote um we the pittsburgh juice company was one of our early campaigns they were very successful Um, they bought a new delivery truck as as they start to to sell in more locations uh they've been making payments and, and we distributed the first payments back out to investors and we had one investor reach out to us and he said oh my gosh this is so cool i got my first repayment uh, as soon as I got my first repayment, I jumped in the car, I drove across town, I went to the Pittsburgh Juice Company, and I bought $30 worth of juice. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. And so I, I looked in the system to see how much he invested, and it, the guy invested $100. He, he made $6.12 back on that first repayment, yeah. and he went and bought $30 worth of juice. So I think I think that's the type of engagement that we're starting to see. I, mean, I know it's anecdotal, but it's, it's really exciting to, to see that. Um, to, to the earlier question about uh, interest rates, so yeah, I think you know there, there are some businesses who who are you know, quote unquote bankable that do come to Honeycomb simply because of the the marketing impact that it has. There are a number of businesses that that come to us who are are not necessarily bankable, 
banks are banks are very rigid uh, typically I'm, I'm speaking in generalities here but banks are, are typically very rigid they, they require three years of operating history you must be profitable you must have so much collateral on the loan your personal guarantee must be so strong you must have a 600 fico score things like that and, and, and in many ways we, we have a similar checklist but instead of saying oh you know you, you don't have a 600 credit score you can't you can't borrow on honeycomb we say oh no okay your, your credit score is a little low we'll still lend to you, but your interest rate is going to be a little bit higher. So we like to be, uh, we like to find a way to say yes, um, and just have a little bit more flexibility with the interest rate. So to, to that end, I think, uh, you know, our interest rates are, are kind of marginally more expensive than, than banks, um, but pretty competitive with banks. Uh, but, but, you know, in a lot of cases, banks just aren't willing to do the loans at all. What we are finding increasingly is that kind of in in this funding in this funding range of kind of ten to a hundred thousand dollars that's our specialty, a lot of people end up going to kind of online uh, for lack of a better term kind of payday lenders for small businesses and the value proposition of of these players is that they will they'll put money in your business bank account in 24 hours or 48 hours and and so with you know three clicks of a button you get twenty thousand dollars in your bank account tomorrow which which sounds great um but if you read the fine print you'll see that the, the apr is often 80 percent or 90 percent or 100 percent. and so many small business owners who are just so busy they just click those buttons because they see twenty thousand dollars in my bank account awesome Right, um, but it ends up being very, very expensive, and can be a real difficult debt trap for for some small businesses to get out of. So we're trying to to find a way to bring kind of fair capital to that same space. And one of the through lines here, when you're talking about the family history and community banking, and a, an outfit like Honeycomb Credit, when when you talk about trying to stimulate a local economy and help a local economy thrive, a big key is not how much money is there, but how much the money is circulating through the economy. And that's really what changes consumer mindset. That's what changes business outcomes, how much the money is moving through. And that example that you gave of someone got a payout and then they went and bought something and that, you know, affected juice bars, bottom lines that they could then potentially pay more of their uh, loan back or, or feel more comfortable paying their loan back. That circulation of the money is such a core component that they're really you know, what other vehicles are there to stimulate those sort of things? It's not on the top of mind for most people. 100%. And, and you know, what's interesting is up until very recently, y- you can shop local, you can buy local. But if, if you wanted to put money to work in investments in your own local community, that's not a very easy thing to do. I mean, it, it, think about how easy it is for me to buy stock for a comp- company in Tokyo. I can do that in my Schwab app in minutes. But if I wanted to invest in the neighborhood coffee shop that I go every morning, that that's effectively impossible up until uh, iterations of crowdfunding like Honeycomb. And and so, for us, it's so exciting to to kind of take that next logical iteration from from the buy local movement uh, to let people really kind of put their their own hard earned money to work in the communities that they know and love. So. Uh Relatively recently, you guys announced a $1 million seed fundraise. You alluded to that earlier in the conversation. Why? Uh, from whom? And yeah, I guess those are two questions. Sure. Yeah. So uh, if, starting with uh, from whom. So we, we uh, Innovation Works led the round. So uh, Innovation Works is a, a, a government agency. 
that, that runs the Alpha Lab program. So we've been working with them for, for quite some time as we went through Alpha Lab and, and we're really, really excited to, to have them lead the round. Uh, and then we had a, a pool of really fantastic local angels. So we, we found that, you know, Pittsburgh as a financial services hub, uh, there's a lot of folks with really deep finance experience uh, here in the city. Uh, there's a BNY office, there's PNC. It's kind of underrated for having that talent pool. Absolutely. Um, and, and so we've been able to, to find a lot of folks, uh, both within the tech community, but also in the financial services community, who who understand what we're doing and really appreciate what we're doing, uh, who get it and, and not just uh, brought capital to the, to the round, but also brought an incredible amount of expertise and experience that, that we can draw on. So just thrilled with, with how the seed round came together and, and really excited about uh, kind of building up our team. So that, that's kind of the number one uh, use of funds right now is, is scaling up the team, uh, in particular kind of sales and marketing and operations. Um, so I think, you know, with, with our early campaigns, we've proven that this model works. We've proven that we're adding a lot of value to small businesses. We're proving that people are excited about investing in their own community. Uh, what we're starting to see some of the community impact. And so now, now that we have those proof points, we're ready to really hit the gas. And so we're, we're building out those sales and marketing, uh, that, that sales and marketing expertise to make sure that we can reach more small businesses and really start to scale up the platform. So is the selling really into small businesses saying like, if you need to raise financing or debt or something like this, there's another avenue, just get even educating the market, so to speak. That, really that's the exactly, big yeah, for sure. That's exactly it. And in terms of, you know, founding team and starting folks, the core expertise, not that you are completely unfluent, but like you're not a marketer. That's not, not a core Correct. competency. Yeah. So what, what have you had to learn in that realm or what, what kind of skill set are you guys building to that end? Yeah, I mean, so much of it is, you know, it, we're really fortunate to, to have Ken on the team because he, he lived and breathed being a small business owner. But, you know, Christian, uh, our first employee and, and myself, neither of us have, have lived that small business lifestyle before. And so it was a steep learning curve just to, to be really empathetic and, and, and kind of understand the life of, of a small business owner. I mean, they are putting their heart and soul into these businesses they, they have a, usually starts they're very good at making some product and then they have to learn all the other pieces of the business and so uh, for us it's just been an incredible journey to, to kind of understand where these small business owners are coming from and make sure that we're, we're starting to refine our marketing message to, to, to resonate with kind of their expertise and, and kind of help them fill in some of the gaps where, where we have expertise in finance and financial services. This is the part of the interview where I just kind of go ADD all over the place. But <laughs> is there an upper limit or a lower limit on how much someone can put into the platform, a minimum or a maximum? Yeah, from the investor perspective? Yes. Yeah. So in, investors are, so we are a Securities and Exchange Commission regulated entity. Um, and so under the, the SEC's rules, anyone in the United States over the age of 18 is allowed to invest a little over $2,000 every year. Okay. Depending on your income and net worth, some people are allowed to invest a lot more than that. So actually, the, the largest investment that's come across the platform so far has actually been a $13,000 investment in one of the small businesses. We also have a lot of really small investments. Um, our minimum investment's $100. So we're trying to make it democratic and approachable. Uh, and, and so, yeah, we get a lot of $100 investments. We get a lot of $1,000 investments. We get a couple $10,000 investments. Uh, and I think to, to me, I, I was surprised that our, our average investment size is actually 
actually significantly larger than I expected it to be going into this pro- process. And that tells me that tells me two things. I think one, it tells me that people are sick of earning 0.02% interest rate on, on their bank account, yeah. right? And I think two, it tells me that, that people are into this. They, they want to invest in their own local economy. They, they trust these business owners that they know. Uh, they trust these businesses and, and they, they want to see their community flourish and, and they're excited to, to put capital to work to, to start doing that. So the last kind of question here before we start wrapping up is the problem of a two-sided market where you're looking for the investors and you're looking for the businesses. I'm guessing that it's more on the small business owner front because they're just drowning in other informations and problems and questions to know that this is an option that's available to them. Um, How have you found that kind of populating potential investors and populating the potential companies to be invested in on this platform? Yeah, I would say 80 to 90% of the work is finding the small businesses. Okay. What we've learned is that small business owners are really good at building a network and a community around their small business. And so if we can plug into that and we can give them the tools they need to to promote and market their, their honeycomb campaign, then they're very likely to, to, to be able to find investors to bring to the campaign and invest in that individual deal. Gotcha. So that, that's been the focus so far. Makes sense. Well, I'm leaving this conversation even more excited than I was after hearing the pitch at Demo Day. Um, I, th- I think it's really cool and it makes a lot of sense and is in alignment with a lot of trends that uh, we're seeing happen as a byproduct of the conversations associated with this podcast, George. But uh, before we ask our last two questions, anything else you're hoping to share today that I didn't give you a chance to? Well, I, I think just to, to your last point here, there, there's a real zeitgeist. I mean, people want to see Main Street Middle America flourish again. They want to see, uh, it doesn't matter if that's urban or suburban or rural, people people want to see the, the kind of the rest of the country find a path forward. And and I think small businesses do a lot to, to create hope and energize communities. Um, and, and so I, I think it's even telling that, you know, the regulation that we operate under is, is part of the JOBS Act, which was the last big bipartisan piece of legislation like seven years ago. But, it, you know, the, it, it was uh, a way that people came together to try and find a way to support Main Street Middle America. And I think uh, people are just really excited about it. And uh, we, we hope to just kind of use that as, as uh, winds at our back to, to keep moving forward. I'm sure some people listening are going to be excited and want to learn more. What digital coordinates can we provide them to follow along on what you guys are doing? Yeah, best place to find us is is honeycombcredit.com. You can learn a whole lot more about the company there and also see all of our uh, latest campaigns. Beautiful. We're going to link that in the show notes. Goingdeepwithaaron.com slash podcast is the place to find it or in the podcast player where you're currently listening to this episode. Uh, But as we do at the end of each conversation, George, I want to give you the mic a final time to issue an actionable personal challenge for the audience. So I I think my personal challenge is to, to try and buy local. Uh, small businesses do so much for the local economy. We talked about how the, the, it keeps money in the local economy and, and recirculating. Uh, but even beyond that, small businesses are, are creating a sense of hope and pride and, and they make our communities safe and fun and vibrant. And, uh, you know, go out and this weekend and, and go to your local farmer's market and support the local businesses around you. Yeah, and a uh, mentor of mine often talks about voting with your dollars, you know, making these type of choices with your dollars, but also inspiring others to do so. When you come across an amazing small business, a small local business, you know, 
being an advocate, being an evangelist for them and continuing to influence the economy in that direction. And, so. and tell them about Honeycomb while you're at it too. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Great, great last note to end up on. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it, Aaron. We just went deep with George Cook. Hope everyone out there has a fantastic day. Hey, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Hit that subscribe button if you've not already done so and mark your calendar for March 23rd, 2019. We'll be hosting the second Going Deep Summit. All the previous talks are on YouTube. You can see how powerful the content was that we provided at that event. But more importantly than the content, more importantly than the fantastic speakers like Alan Gannett and Mike Dariano, who will be speaking at the second Going Deep Summit, are the type of people that you will meet on a Saturday morning like this. We had people come in last year from Philadelphia, New York, Michigan, California, all over the place. More than 20% of the audience came in from out of town to be at this event. We're expecting similar numbers this year, but all of these characters are dedicating their Saturday, not to sitting on the couch, not to just running around and doing errands, but bettering themselves, growing as individuals, and learning something new. You should be there. Go to goingdeepwitharen.com slash event to get your tickets and learn more. And I'll see you March 23rd. Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.